0: One word of prayer thank you lord for this time thank you for uh your tremendous mercy and grace towards us thank you that you sent your son to die for our sins and you are so good and uh, you love us so much thank you that you revealed the good news in your word and that we were uh, born again through the living and abiding word of god and the word that was preached to us revealed your son jesus And Father, thank you that you use your word to grow us in respect to salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you do that today. Grow us with your word so that you'd be glorified in our responses and in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you think of when you think of something that is fake or false? We got a lot of talk about fake news, things like that, right? We have a lot of talk about that these days in our culture. Uh, you think about things that are false. When I was in aviation, there was, uh, there were bulletins that would come out for parts that were counterfeits, uh, that would be produced, uh, and the quality would be that which would cause, uh, uh, people at risk for, uh, for, um, an accident. Things that are false. You think about things that are fake or false. They're not the genuine article. They're not the real thing. And within that, we recognize that those who purvey those fake or false things are those who are in it for themselves. They don't care about the people that are hurt by it. They don't care about that. And that's just in our world, right? You see that uh, day in and day out. But we have the same thing within the Word of God. We have things that we have warnings within the Word about that which would be false, that which would be fake. And today we're going to see that. We're going to see how we can keep from being ensnared by false teaching. We're moving along in our study of the book of Philippians. And the Apostle Paul is now going to give some warnings in the context of what he has shared with them already. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to read them, and then we'll get started, and I'll share a little context. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard to you or for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And from that point on the apostle paul will give his own testimony if anyone could put confidence He could have before he came to christ and he shares the confidence he has But then how that was all rubbish and worthless in view of knowing christ And so today we're going to look at a warning from the apostle paul how we cannot be ensnared by That which is false And I think the first thing we're going to see is that we need to have the right attitude or we are vulnerable And then we need to heed the warnings. We need to heed the warnings Look at our passage. It starts out, Finally, my brethren, chapter 3, verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. He says, Finally, my brethren, and if you've read through uh, the book of Philippians, you'll say, wait a second, why is he saying finally? This isn't the end of the book. Well, in, in a sense, in the Greek here, it means for as to the rest. I've, I've shared some things with you, and I have some more things to share with you, in a sense. As to the rest of the things I need to share, and notice what he says. He says, as to the rest, or finally, my brethren, my brethren. These Gentile Philippians were Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, We know, as he talks about brethren, the reality that they were earlier called by him saints in in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are delivered from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. You are placed into the family of God. You are holy by position. You are a saint by position, by the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. And see, he's writing to his brothers and sisters. Now, Paul has, says, as to the rest. Well, what have we seen so far in the book of Philippians? We see the apostle Paul has uh, has has revealed uh, in this letter about ten years after the founding of this church that he is uh, so thankful for them. He is so thankful for God's work in their lives, and he is confident that God will complete that work that he had started. And he shared his attitude and his circumstances that although he is in prison 24-7, chained to a Roman guard, about to go before Caesar, not totally knowing what's going to happen to him, possibly being executed, but he seems to to sense in the Lord that that's not going to happen. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I'm going to stay on, he shares with the Philippians, it's for your benefit, Philippians. That's what he shares. And we see the Christ-like attitude of the Apostle Paul. And that within everything, he desired that Christ would be magnified in everything, that he would be glorified in everything. And then the Apostle Paul addressed the Philippians' circumstances. They were experiencing some opposition. They were to stand firm. They were to strive together. They were not to be alarmed by their opposition, which is a sign to the opposition they're on their way to destruction, but to those who are in Christ, the Philippians, that they're on their way to glory. And then we saw in chapter 2 that they were to have the right attitude, the right mindset. Isn't attitude everything? You think of attitude, it's your mindset. It's how you think. It's how you respond to things. It's, it's what you think when things happen to you. They're to have the right attitude. They're to have the mind of Christ. They were to be united, humble. They're to be like Jesus Christ. They were to uh, see one another as more important than themselves they were to scope out ways to 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 do so and then paul gave the perfect example of what we are to have we're to have the mind of christ he says have this attitude or literally mind which was in christ jesus think like jesus christ thought when he was in his flesh when he came he didn't consider equality with god a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself becoming a bond servant he became a servant and he was a humble to the point of death, even death on a cross. He obeyed, serving the Father for our benefit. He saw us as more important than himself. Have this mind which was in Christ Jesus and serve your brothers and sisters in the context of relying and obeying on the Father who is in heaven. We see that. And within that we saw the first commands, the real commands that come after the exaltation of Christ because of what he had done. He was exalted that that at his name every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And that we are to thus work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because God is at work in us. God is at work in us. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that reality that we are to be humble and, and respectful and honoring and, and, and fearing the Lord. What God is doing us, he is working in us this tremendous reality of the life of Christ. And we are to work that out in the context, as we saw, of obedience. We are to work that out in obedience. And then we saw the first command after that, that we are to do all things without grumbling and complaining. Without complaining and arguing that we would be lights, we would be those who shine, in a sense, and we do shine in this dark, sinful world. And that Paul himself, he shared, that they would hold fast to the Word so that he would not have to see in the day of Christ that all that work in the Word had been in vain in their lives. And so with that, we came to then some examples, the example of the Apostle Paul. We came to the example also of Timothy. And last week we saw the example of Epaphroditus, men in different giftings and different positions and different circumstances who all reflect the mindset of jesus christ examples for us to follow and it's after these examples we come to chapter three where he now shares a warning for believers in philippi and by virtue of the scripture being inspired and proper for us a warning for us he says finally my brethren rejoice and the Lord, that's the first command. And he's going to go on and say to, to write the same things. It, again, is no trouble for me. And it is a safeguard for you. And we're going to see he's talking about false teachers, false brethren, those who are dangerous, those who introduce things that are dangerous to your faith in Jesus Christ. And he's going to warn us about that because they're there. Where there's the truth, there's false things. We see that in all areas of life, but especially in in terms of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and he begins by interestingly enough saying rejoice in the Lord you see because if you don't have the right attitude if you're allowing your circumstances to get you down in a sense to not see them through the lens of what Christ is doing uh, yes we do grieve over things we're not phony uh, false joy people but we can rejoice in the midst of that knowing what Jesus is doing knowing what he's doing and knowing what he's done for us But if we have the wrong attitudes, we are vulnerable to those who would come alongside in the body of Christ and steer you in a direction that is wrong, that would fulfill your needs in the flesh in a sense rather than what you really need, which is walking more closely with Jesus Christ, pressing towards that goal. So we have a command, rejoice in the Lord here. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a command for believers. For believers, rejoice in the Lord. And you say, We're commanded to rejoice. How can I do that? I don't feel like rejoicing. I feel like crying or being upset, right? How can I rejoice in the Lord? Sometimes it's hard to rejoice, Lord, but here we're going to see that when we renew our hearts and minds, no matter what circumstances in, we can find joy in the lord even if we're grieving over situations grieving over trouble you know the lord jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief there's trouble because of sin in this life but we can have joy as we'll see also and we are commanded to rejoice as we see in the lord later on he's going to say in chapter four verse four rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice now, with that in mind, what is biblical joy? What is biblical rejoicing? You know, the world understands happiness. Things go right, happy, 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 right? Things go bad, complain, 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 right? But for us, joy is different. Joy is different. What is biblical joy? I want to share some passages uh, in the Psalms about biblical joy. Turn to Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16:11. The Psalmist writes in Psalm sixteen eleven. He writes In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. You don't need to turn there, but Nehemiah chapter eight verse ten, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Look back a little bit in Psalm chapter five or Psalm chapter five verse eleven. Psalm five eleven. Notice who are told to rejoice. Notice who are told to be glad. Notice what he says here, Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And mayest thou shelter them that thou who loves, that those who love thy name may exult in thee. For it is thou who dost bless the righteous man. O Lord, thou dost surround him with favor as a shield. Take refuge in the Lord. Let everyone who takes refuge in Him to trust in Him. He's our refuge and strength. Rejoice in Him. Be glad in Him. Sing for joy. What about Psalm 32? Psalm 32, turn there. We're going to see that it's the forgiveness of sins that brings joy. It's the forgiveness of sins. Psalm 32. A Psalm of David. A Maskell. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, whose spirit there is no deceit. You're not fooling yourself. You've been forgiven. You are blessed if you are forgiven in Jesus Christ. When he's not counting your sins on the the slate for judgment, you are so blessed. We are blessed. How blessed. And then look down a little farther in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord. Don't say circumstances. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. When you start to realize how much sin, how sinful we are, and what Jesus Christ did for us, it brings joy that we're forgiven. That when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. That we are instantly forgiven. We are forgiven in Christ. All the wretched thoughts, all our sinfulness forgiven because of what Jesus did for us. That brings joy. Look at Psalm 43, verse 3. We see that that joy comes in the context of the Lord Himself. Psalm 43, verse 3. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me let 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 them bring to bring me to thy holy pl- hill and to thy dwelling places, then I will go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise thee, O oh God, my God, tremendous reality tremendous reality to god to to God my exceeding joy well. Psalm 71, turn to Psalm 71, 23. My lips will shout for joy. I will sing praises to thee and my soul which thou hast redeemed. Psalm 95, verse 1. O oh, come and let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. The reality is joy comes from a right relationship with the living God. Joy comes from a right relationship. Joy is summed up in the person of Christ and the things that he has done for us. Summed up in the person of Christ and the things he has done for us. You see, and when you realize what God has done for you, how he's forgiven us in Jesus Christ, it, is, it should bring joy to you. You should shout for joy. praise him. Rejoice in the Lord. But guess what steals our joy? Well, it doesn't steal our joy. We actually steal it ourselves. It's sin, right? When we're sinning, when we're not obeying the Lord, is there joy? No, there isn't. One uh, pastor writes, now he again refers to that which is so much upon his heart. He'd have the saints rejoicing in the Lord, Joy and holiness is inseparable. A holy Christian is able to rejoice even when passing through the deepest afflictions, but a believer who through unwatchfulness has permitted himself to fall into unholy ways loses the joy of the Lord immediately, which is his strength for those and the strength for those who walk in communion with him. You see, if we're not joyful, if we're not focused on Christ and what he's doing, Uh, We are vulnerable to false teaching. We're vulnerable to those who would package, as we will see, a relationship with Jesus in a way that is not true, in a way that feeds into the very thing that you need to have changed in your life. So then, first of all, we are to keep on rejoicing. Now, joy is like a spiritual thermometer. We can, again, we can be absolutely grieving over things. We can have have uh, all sorts of difficult things in our lives, and as believers, we do. We do. But within that, but within that, we are told here and we are commanded to rejoice in the Lord. And I want to ask you, are you obeying that command? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Not in your circumstances. Are you rejoicing in the Lord and what he's done? What he's done for you? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? If not, you're vulnerable. Well, not only are we to um, uh, be rejoicing in the Lord... Not only are we to do that, we are also to heed the repeated warnings. Look at our passage again, Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. Finally, my brethren, brethren, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things, again, is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul says to write the same things. The implications, he has written them before. These are the same things that he has warned about before. To write the same things is no trouble or literally no effort for me to write them again. It's no trouble. You see, if Paul was a faithful, godly shepherd who was concerned for those who were at spiritual risk. And he says, it is no bother, no trouble for me to write these things again. And he says, literally, it is a safeguard for you. That term safeguard speaks of that which is firm, that which cannot be thrown down, that which is immovable. It's uh, used in parallel in Hebrews chapter 5 or 6 verse 19 with the term anchor. An anchor. Our hope in Christ is an anchor, both sure, solid, steadfast. He says, it's a steadfast, safe warning for you. It's a safeguard. For me to warn you is to protect you, and it's no trouble to do so. Folks, it's no trouble to do so. And I want to ask you, when's the last time you heard of those warnings? A lot of churches these days don't want to warn you about those things. They don't want to be faithful to the Word. They want to sell you a, a, a package of something that is very enjoyable for you, rather than warn you about the difficulties that are going to come your way if you really are following Christ. So, no, he says here, it is a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard for you. So what is this that he's going to talk about? What are the threats and dangers that the Philippians were facing? We're going to see them in a moment. But what were these things that he needs to warn them about? Well, most likely they were the the Judaizers. They were those who had claimed to have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And yet they were attaching uh, works to their relationship, quote-unquote, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were those who would say, yes, we've come to Jesus Christ. We're following the Lord Jesus Christ. But they would attach Old Testament shadows and say you had to do these things to be right before the Lord. They would twist the word of God, as we will see. They would mutilate, as we will see. They were those who would say that you need to back at this time to be circumcised, whatever it might be if you're men. But they would not only physically devastate, they would spiritually devastate. Now you say, that's not a danger to the Philippians, right? Because they've already been saved. Well, the reality is, although they brought a false gospel, they also brought a threat to one's sanctification, you see? Because God uses his word to bring us into the kingdom. He he reveals the truth about Jesus Christ. We are born again through the living and abiding word of God. And then he uses it to grow us in respect to salvation. And when people twist that, lessen that, or manipulate the word it is a threat to our relationship with jesus christ and that is the most important thing there is is our walk with jesus christ and therefore this is the most important thing to be warned about and paul says it is no trouble for me and it is a safeguard for you rejoice the lord and for me to warn you it's no big deal but it's a safeguard for you you see we have the same threats right now just repackaged We don't have uh, former Jews walking around uh, telling us we need to get circumcised, whatever that might be, or do those things. Well, there are some Messianic churches that are not good, I'll tell you right now. They fall into this, by the way. They say, yes, we follow Jesus Christ, but then they add all the works of the law. Get away from them, as we're going to see. But there's other things that we are in danger of. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 for a moment. Colossians chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want to read something that the Apostle Paul shared with the Ephesian elders. This is in Acts chapter... Actually, I want to trade your, keep your fear in Colossians, but also turn to Acts chapter 20. I want to share this passage, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse uh, 28. And the Apostle Paul is uh, sharing his last words with the Ephesian elders, the leaders of the Ephesian church. And he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, that's the leadership there probably, men will arise speaking perverse things and the reason why to draw away the disciples after them therefore be on the alert remembering that night and day for a period of three years i did not cease to admonish each one with tears the apostle paul warned them over and over about it and yet for us we don't have maybe these judaizers what are the things we need to watch out for well the scripture is just as applicable to us today as it was back then and back to colossians chapter 2 Verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, As you you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. You see, we received Christ Jesus by faith. We didn't receive him. We didn't do anything to get saved. We did nothing by works. It was nothing. And as the same way, we walk in Jesus Christ. We rely on him with the same faith we had when we got saved. We trust in him. We believe his word. That's how we walk with him. And false guys will come in and twist that and cause you to do stuff. They'll flip the cart before the horse rather than Christ doing things in you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to see that it's the word of God that builds us up, that keeps us protected from these things, by the way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, that's the body of Christ, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's, that's what God is doing until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine or teaching, you could say, but by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. There are bad people out there who craft their words in such a way to deceitfully manipulate the body of Christ, ultimately to pull them away from trusting and walking with Christ, allowing his word to work in them. That's ultimately what we're going to see. The same way they would twist about salvation, they twist in terms of sanctification. The Apostle Paul was dealing with this with the Galatians, the Galatian church. They were believers. And he says to them in Galatians chapter 3, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? It was by hearing with faith, right? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? That's the danger. People coming in to tell you how to follow the lord jesus christ how to do church how to have a relationship with him apart from how he ordains that we have a relationship which is by his word through his spirit changing my heart and enabling me to be different and to do what he has and has called me to do now the dangers today are obvious there's nothing new under the sun we have the obvious cults of the cults the mormons jehovah's witnesses where they salvation is clearly by works that's false gospel But there are those who have a subtle deadly shade that that add things in. They say salvation is from Christ, but you need to be water baptized to be saved. Salvation from Christ, but you need to partake of the sacraments. Salvation is Christ, but you need to keep the Sabbath or so on and so forth. They'll add those things in. Or even more subtle, we will have systems of sanctification. Follow this prayer like the prayer of Jabez. Follow that and you'll be more godly. Uh, Be part of this this group or this purpose. Know your purposes. This will help you. Rather than obedience to Christ, as you have received him, so walk in him. God uses his word to make us like Christ, and we grow by his word. Jesus prayed, Sanctify them in in thy truth, thy word is truth. It's God's word that he uses to change my rotten mind, to renew it, to make it think right to think right. And we see threats today people who dismiss or twist the word turn to second peter and we went through second peter a couple months ago maybe about 6 months ago but I want to just share a few little pieces here from second peter. Cuz the bad guys are sneaky and they're fake as we'll see and they're false but they portray themselves to be just like those who are following the lord and we need to be Built up in the Word and protected so that we don't become vulnerable or get caught up in that. Look at Second Peter chapter two, verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people that's speaking of in the Old Testament, just as there will also be false teachers among you, that's in the church, who will what? Secretly introduce destructive heresies. It's not blatant, it's secret. Even to the point, as you could say it in the Greek, of denying the master who bought them, bringing strict destruction upon themselves. And look at this, this is sad. And many will follow their sensuality. That's just their fleshiness. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Paul says, beware. These are the dangers that we have these days later on a little farther in 2nd peter chapter 3 in the very end it talks about uh in verse the end of verse 16 which the untaught and unstable distort. speaking of paul's letters as they do the rest of the scriptures they distort and twist the word so that you're not completely depending on christ but you're following a system or whatever it might be or a person rather than jesus christ rather than him now we have those uh, churches, types of churches that we see today who pervert, dismiss, twist, or omit the word. You can come to church and never be convicted. They're told to preach the word, be ready in season, now it's reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. And that's never happens. There's a little ditty of verses here and there, a little sprinkle here and there, a little sprinkle, and, and, and you feel good as you walk out, but you're the same spiritually before you as you walked in, maybe even worse. There's nothing new new under the sun. There's the type of churches that will elevate your feelings and experience, dreams, bogus prophecy above the word of God. Bad guys. We see the equally dangerous person, the evangelical church, who who will knowingly or unknowingly, I believe it's knowingly, attack the process of sanctification by not preaching the word or watering it down, leaving the sheep as prey to the enemy. One last passage here I want to share. Well, actually two. Turn to Ezekiel 34. In the middle of your Bibles, basically. Ezekiel 34. And I'm going to read portions of this. You can read the whole part later, but I want to read starting in verse 2. Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? Shouldn't shepherds be feeding the flock? I mean, that's the obvious reality, right? Ezekiel 34, verse 2. And then look down in verse uh, 8. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become prey... My flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. My shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather my shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Shouldn't the pilots be flying the plane? Shouldn't the the, the police be getting the bad guys? Shouldn't shepherds be feeding the flock? Shouldn't spiritual shepherds be feeding you the word of God? The bad guys don't do that. They don't do that. They, they make it seem like it. Like we see in the book of uh, Second Peter, there are clouds without water. You think it's, it's, it's like you see the storm coming. You know, it's going to rain. And then it comes by and it doesn't rain. You think you're going to be fed, the word of God. You think you're going to grow in Jesus Christ and you don't get it. You don't get it. One last uh, passage here about this. Look at, uh, well, it's just going to be t- a few more, but this is the last in this portion. Look at Second Timothy chapter 4. These are Paul's last words to Timothy, a young pastor, godly man who's been faithful in the word. We saw him a couple weeks ago in Philippians. Second Timothy chapter 4, after declaring the absolute sufficiency of the word of God for everything, for, 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 for every good work, he says here, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. I think it's out of season right now, folks, right? Out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For a time, the time will come when they will not endure sound. doctrine. They're not going to be able to sit here. They won't be able to hear the word of God. They can't endure it. But notice what it says. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths or stories. We see that today. But I don't see much concern in churches these days for the the movie clip storytelling preachers who omit the word of God. I don't see much concern. You know, there is something much more devious behind a pastor who doesn't preach the word. A pastor who is, uh, who is, uh, uh, Asleep with the switch, who is not doing his duty before the Lord. We'll turn to First Timothy chapter 4. Here's some examples. We're going to get some examples of some, some teaching that was bad at that day and what pastors are to do. First Timothy chapter 4. But the Spirit explicitly says in latter times some will fall away from the faith. Paying attention to what? deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron men who forbid marriage that was one of their false things hey if you don't get married you're more spiritual that was a okay and advocate abstaining from foods you better not eat this food because that's not good for you that's not well not good for you so it's not holy you shouldn't eat that you'd be more godly if you eat this way which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Got bad people saying, hey, you ought to eat this way and that will make you more spiritual, right? Little examples, right? Doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. He says, for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. And then notice this is the part I want you to see. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. Point out the bad doctrine, Timothy, be a good good servant of Jesus, right? Protect the flock. And the Apostle Paul was like that. He was faithful. He says, it's no problem for me to warn you. It's no problem at all. It's no problem at all. It's a safeguard for you. So with that in mind, how are we to keep ourselves from being ensnared from false teaching? First of all, we need to the right attitude. We need to be rejoicing in what Christ has done for us. Secondly, we need to heed the warnings. They are for our benefit. And there are a lot of warnings, as we'll see in Scripture. And now the Apostle Paul is going to get specific now and give us very specific warnings of things for us to beware here. And, that, and within this, we need to diligently look out for these things because of the great danger they pose. Look at verse 2 back in Philippians 3. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Three bewares and their commands, present imperative, constantly beware. The term means to be constantly observing with, a, with the idea of avoiding. You know, have you ever been told, warned about something? Watch out, you'll cut your finger, you know, you're okay, I'll be careful, right? Whatever it is, right? You're you're aware of that. Someone's warned you. You're you're constantly looking so that you don't do what you're being warned about, right? Three bewares. Be constantly observing with a view of avoiding. And why? Why should you be avoiding these false bad guys and their teaching? Because first of all, they're dangerous. Notice the first one. Beware of the dogs. Sounds like your introduction to your postal job, right? No, it isn't. Right? What does he mean by this? Beware the dogs. Well, there were two words in Scripture for dogs, basically. They're cognates of one another. The first one was what the, Jesus shared with the Syrophoenician woman about the dogs that get the crumbs from the table. Household pet, nice dog, you know, in a sense. And then there were the mangy, uh, rabid, often rabid, scavengers roaming the streets, and that was this word. Out, they're vicious, half-starved. They're They're dangerous. They're dangerous. And he is associating these false teachers with the metaphor of these, these, these dangerous, half-starved uh, scavengers who are out to get you, in a sense. He says, beware the dogs. And in an interesting twist, the, the Jews who didn't know Jesus, they would see Gentiles racially uh, and, and their racial bias as dogs. They would call them that. And Paul says, beware the dogs, most likely these Judaizers, these ones who take the word of God and twist it. Beware the dogs. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. False teaching is dangerous. What did did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? He said, uh, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. They come to you with shepherd's clothing on, like a pastor, and inwardly, on the inside, you can't see that. They are like ravenous wolves. He says you'll know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. Turn to Second Corinthians eleven. They're dangerous. Dangerous people. Second Corinthians eleven. He's speaking of false apostles here, faux apostles. Second Corinthians eleven thirteen. He says, For such men are false apostles. Pseudo apostles. That's the word pseudo pseudo apostolos. Deceitful workers are workers of deceit. And look at this. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Folks, they're fake. They're false. They disguise themselves as as servants of righteousness, they creep in unnoticed. Jude, verse four, he says, "For certain persons have crept in unnoticed." It's like a like a terrible, yucky bug or something, you know. They're imposters. Bob read this earlier. Second Timothy three thirteen. But evil men and imposters. Will proceed from Bazaar. They claim to follow Jesus Christ. They are imposters, and you can know them by their fruits. They're disobedient to the Word of God. They're disobedient. They're not, they, and they don't point you to dependence on Christ. They point you to dependence on other things. They point you to your feelings. They point you to yourself, to your felt needs, rather than Jesus Christ. Beware. Look for the fruit. Again, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing or shepherd's garbs. They they portray themselves to be shepherds. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, Every but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then... You will know them by their fruits. And later on, he gives an example of the fruit. Those who would say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform many miracles? Didn't we do all this ministry? And the Lord Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. You're not, they're still in their sins. The fruit of false teachers is they're not convicted over their sin. Those who that fruit. And therefore, they're either not truly saved because they never truly trusted in Christ because they never really saw themselves as sinner they really are, or they got saved and they never got convicted and grew in Jesus Christ. We're not to be deceived. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said, beware the false prophets. Paul warned the Ephesians elders. We read that earlier. Paul warned in Romans 16, Galatians 1, Galatians 3, 2 Corinthians 11, we read that. Philippians 3, we're looking at that now. Colossians 2, Titus 1, 1 to 2 Timothy, uh, second and third chapters of 2 Peter, we're warned by Jude. There are false, faux people out there, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous. On a side note, why would God allow the bad guys to enter the church? Why would he allow that? Why would a good, gracious, loving God allow... People to come in who would be false. Why would he do that? Well, we're not God, so we don't understand his ways. His ways are not our ways, right? But we do have some insight into that. Turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13. We have some insight. This is an Old Testament context in terms of the covenant that God had made with Israel, but there's some principles that we can gather from here that are helpful for us. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you... Notice how it arises. They just all of a sudden come up, right? We saw that with false teachers and prophets, you know, in the New Testament. Rises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, okay? Remember, God was working in many different ways through many different means in the Old Testament, Right? God wasn't just, uh, right now we're in the New Testament where he, he speaks through his son. But he did many different things. There were all kinds of different ways that God worked through his prophets. There were miraculous things that happened. But the false guys would do things too, you see. And notice what it says here. He says, if, and the sign and wonder, verse 2, comes true. Hey, it actually came true. Concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the word of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It's a test. You see, if you allow yourself to be swept away by every wind of doctrine, you're showing that you love uh, the Lord less than you love what's going on. You love that church maybe. You love the feeling you get in it. You love the, the people you're around. You love all that more than you love the Lord God and being obedient. It's testing you. And we fail, don't we? We fail to test at times. And if you fail, confess and be forgiven. Be forgiven. But God tests us. He allows them. But we're to be aware. He's warned us also so that we would not get caught up by them. So we saw, beware of the dogs. Back to Philippians chapter 3. And notice he says in the middle of verse 2, beware of the evil workers. Now remember, we're going to see they're false, they're fake, they're pretending to be true. But he says they're evil workers, they're literally workers of evil. Paul calls it what it is. You know, no matter how much somebody says Jesus, no matter what the motive, no matter how kind the person is, no matter how sincere someone appears to be, It is evil to add works to justification. It is evil to add works to sanctification. It is evil to twist the gospel. It is evil to twist or lessen or omit God's word. It is evil to subjugate his word to experience. No matter what the motive, no matter how the person appears, it is evil to mess with any aspect of salvation. It is evil to mess with people's relationship with Jesus Christ. We see that. He says that uh, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers. Beware. And notice the third thing he says. Beware of the false circumcision. Beware of the false circumcision. Now the Apostle Paul uses a word play on the word circumcision here. Uh, the word circumcision in Greek was peritome. And he uses a word here, kata tome, which means cutting or hacking. He's saying, beware of the mutilators. It's translated false circumcision. But beware of the mutilators. He, he's saying basically by the physical things they do, they're mutilating you spiritually, as we're going to say. Beware of them. You see, when we look at the idea of what's false, we see in their understanding and what they teach is false it is absolutely attacks the core of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul had said to the Galatians, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? You started out by faith, by the Spirit, and now you're going to be perfected by the flesh? Foolish. People come alongside and try to turn you to a system of following Jesus or an emotion or a feeling rather than dependent, humble, trust in Jesus Christ allowing his word to change your actions, confession, and forgiveness in the context of a real relationship with him. Beware of the false circumcision. You see, he's pointing to these people who would take the Old Testament truths and apply the shadows. The shadows. They were shadows of what God was going to bring forth in Christ. They were explained more completely. And even in the Old Testament, within the shadows, there was a heart motive behind it. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, the Lord says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. You see, circumcision was to be a sign of the covenant, an outward symbol of an inward relationship with the Lord. It was a sign of the covenant God made with the Jews. But they had made the sign... The important part. They had made that the part that makes you right before God rather than a changed heart with a symbol and a sign. We see here that Christ is the, is the substance behind this. Christ is the substance. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Actually, I'm going to read Romans chapter 2 for you, Romans two twenty-eight. Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward on the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart by the Spirit. God takes off the, the hardened heart. He changes us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, And in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, he changed our hearts. But the bad guys come along and say, you've got to do this because it's in the Bible, but they're twisting it. We're twisting it. So he says here, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, the workers, of, beware of the mutilators. They're going to mutilate your walk with Jesus Christ. beware. Beware. Then lastly, I believe how we can be protected is we need to know the reality of what a true believer looks like. You see what a true believer looks like, and thus a true shepherd. What someone who is really following the Lord looks like. What a true believer. The false guys are here. And he's going to contrast now back in Philippians chapter 3. The false says, beware of these guys, the false guys. But we are the true, he's going to say. And he's going to explain it with three things that help us understand a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you see that, it helps you spot the false guys in the teaching that they teach. Look at our passage. I want to read through it to verse 3. Finding my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Beware, beware, beware. And then notice what he says. He's going to explain. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. This is a summary of a real believer. These are characteristics of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. These are characteristics. And the true uh, teachers and preachers are going to exhibit these Characteristics. So he gives us a clue. He gives us a clue. He says, We are the true circumcision. Now, now who is the we? Timothy and Paul. That's who's writing. Maybe Epaphroditus, possibly. Maybe he's including the brethren because he says we here. We're the true circumcision. Right? But what we do know, it at least includes Paul and Timothy. And then he gives three participles that do three things we're not the false, we're the true. And the true does this, the first one, who worship in the Spirit of God. What's he talking about here? Who continually habitually worship by means of the Spirit of God. True believers continually habitually worship the Lord by the means of the Spirit of God. And you say, what do you mean? Well, the constant implied implied contrast is false guys do it in their flesh. Turn to John chapter 4, John 4 we have a hint to what the Lord is speaking of here. See, there's a lot of people worshiping the Lord, but there's a lot of false people worshiping the Lord. And the true ones worship in the Spirit of God. It's, a, it's, a, it's an identifying mark of a true believer. And that's why some of you here may be singing songs are going, this is so boring, I can't stand this the Spirit of God is not working in your heart, by the way. It's not causing me to praise the Lord Jesus for the truth that I'm hearing. Take a look here um, at uh, our passage here. John chapter 4, verse 23. Lord Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And he says, But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers, John 4, 23, shall worship the Father In spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, if you haven't received the Spirit of God and you're not yielding to the Spirit of God in the context of his truth functioning in you, you're not truly worshiping the Lord. There's a lot of examples of worship I can share to you that are that are that are in the scriptures time-wise we don't have an opportunity for that but you remember when peter saw jesus walking on the water matthew chapter 14 and everyone's scared to death and jesus tells peter to come on out and he comes out and he's he's basically walking and he starts to sink when he pulls his eyes off of the lord jesus and then jesus reproves him you have little faith and they get back in the boat and what does everybody in the boat do matthew 14 23 and those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, you are certainly God's son. Truth, truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 7, verse 11, the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. When the Spirit of God within you Illumines the things of God. There's worship. We see that in John uh, chapter 15 and 16, the Lord said He was going to send His Spirit. He will He will glorify Me. He will take the things of the Father and disclose them. The things of Me and disclose them to you. God's Spirit reveals through the Word the glorious truths concerning our God, and true believers worship in spirit and in truth, not in the flesh. Not a big wing party of the flesh. But the Spirit of God causing someone to respond to the truth of God. That's real worship. True believers do that. First sign. Bad guys don't do that. That's how you can spot them, okay? Second one, he says here. And, and the Apostle I have so many examples. there's don't have time here. So many examples of, of, of how the Apostle Paul is an example of this. Well, within that, I just before we get to the second one, I do challenge you to rethink your view of worship. You know, we have all this stuff, worship bands, worship time, worship this, worship that. It's when the Spirit of God takes the things of God and makes them alive in a sense that reveals them that we respond in worship. True believers worship in spirit and in truth. For we are the, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God. Look at the second one here back in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. And glory in Christ Jesus. The term glory here is not our normal Greek word for glory doxa, but a Greek word kakaomai, which means to boast in a sense. To boast. True believers continually and habitually boast in Christ Jesus. The contrast is they're not boasting in themselves. The bad guys boast themselves. We saved this many people, so and so ministries. I mean you look at when you see some webpage that has a guy's name all over it, I would run away from that, by the way. True believers boast in Christ. Let me share a couple passages. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we finish up here. We've got one left here. Finish up here. 1 Corinthians 1. He's talking to the Corinthians who had a little problem with boasting. They were boasting in Paul, boasting in Apollos, boasting in this. They were taking people that God had used who were servants. One watered, one planted. They were nothing. God did it all. But they were boasting in those people. And they were reprovable, by the way. We do mess up as believers, and they were reprovable, as we'll see. And the Apostle Paul does reprove them. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.26, For consider your calling, brethren, that not many of you were wise according to the flesh. Hey, you weren't the smart guys. Not many of you were mighty. You weren't the mighty guys. Not many were noble. You weren't the noble guys. But God has chosen the foolish things. That's you and me, by the way. The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world, that's us, to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. That's called the pride. He wants to bring that down. That no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus did that. He did. God did it through Jesus. That just as is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The apostle Paul is a great example. He said, I'm not going to boast of anything except what Christ has done through me. What Christ did through me. I trusted him and he did it. I trusted him and he did it. He's faithful. He's good." Jeremiah 9:23. Thus says the Lord God, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him, boast, him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Boast in the Lord. True believers give God the glory. Not a faux-God glory to get themselves glory, by the way. you got Pharisees doing that on the street corners. Oh, the Lord is so good, you know, jing, 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 all this stuff, right? Not faux glory to God, but real glory to God. Then notice the last true sign of a real believer. For we are the true circumcision who worship the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. They don't rely on themselves. The true guys don't rely on themselves. And they don't teach that either. They rely on Jesus Christ. Folks, if you're going to a church and you don't hear complete dependence on Christ over and over again in the context of his word going forth, get out of there. Get out of there. The Apostle Paul shares in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Jeremiah 17 we have this tremendous statement. Thus says the Lord God, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And he goes on to say, the heart is more deceitful than all else, desperately sick who can understand it. See, true believers, they totally relied on Jesus when they got saved, 100%. There's not one bit of themselves in that. If 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 there was, you didn't get saved. It's complete reliance on Jesus to be saved. And true believers rely on him as they walk with him, especially those who are teaching. We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Folks, our current evangelical church is flesh-driven. Marketing, polling, felt needs. This not a grave you. It, it ought to warn you to stay away from that stuff. Right? So then, by virtue of what is true, we are given insight on how to spot what is false. What is false. Beware. Rejoice in the Lord and beware. Beware, beware. Beware of the bad guys. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the warnings. And I just pray right now that you would... Uh, convict us lord god of where we stand before you lord you said the real guys they worship in your spirit they glory in your son they put no confidence in their flesh lord i pray for anyone here who has never truly experienced that because they've never truly been saved they rely on themselves day in and day out they don't truly worship the lord your son you know glory in him Lord, I just pray that you would convict them, that they would turn, confess their sin, and be saved. And Father, for those of us who are saved, may we be on the alert in the right context, Lord God. We would not be doing this every second of the day as trying to focus on this stuff, Lord God, but that we would focus on you. But we would be cautious, we'd be careful and we watch out. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your son, in whom we pray. Amen.